What up, Misfits? Chris here. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by OBX Winery. A true North Carolina craft winery, OBX Winery has been providing happy people like yourself with the finest craft wines for years. They have a local store on Milepost 5.8 here on the Outer Banks, where you can taste test any of their wines and pick your favorite and buy it in store or online. My favorite is the Honey Mead. It reminds me of storming a 17th century Irish castle. And apparently in this sponsorship, I'm a level 70 paladin. They also make custom wines and can produce custom bottled wines for weddings, gatherings, and special events. I may or may not ask them to make a limited edition run of Misfit Heroes branded wine after doing this sponsorship. But I digress. Misfits, if I'm a technology nerd, then Duncan, Lorraine, John, and the fine folks over at OBX Winery are wine nerds. But not nouveau riche sommeliers. They're not uppity snooty types. They know their stuff, and they can make expert recommendations for whatever you're looking for. So hit them up. If you're local here in the Outer Banks, they're physically located at milepost 5.8 on the bypass. They can also be reached online at obxwinery.com and on social media at obxwinery. Tell them the Misfit Heroes podcast sent you. If you order online, use promo code MISFITS for 10% off your order. Misfits, I love you. Please drink responsibly. And if you drink, don't drive. Do the watermelon crawl. What up, Misfits? Welcome to the Misfit Heroes Podcast. My name is Chris, and I am here with my co-host, with the most, who is not a ghost. Are you sure about that? No. Austin Canizales, how you doing, buddy? <laughs> good, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great, man. I'm doing great. Austin, I am super excited. We had a really good guest this week. Really? Yes. And I missed it. I know, I know. But that's all right. That's all right, because we can listen to it together. Really? Yes. You mean that? I do, from the bottom of my heart. Oh. Listen, this guy, he's a veteran. Really? Yes. He is a school teacher. Okay. He teaches civics. Civics? Yes, civics. So like uh, like laws and rules and stuff. Okay, like, okay. Yeah. yeah. You know, mm-hmm. you know, legalese. Yeah. He's really smart. And more importantly, maybe not more importantly, most importantly, mm-hmm. this is the utmost importance Forget about being a veteran of school. That's not the most important thing is that he's actually a super talented musician from right here on the Outer Banks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's pretty well-known guy. Yes, he's, his, his work and music is amazing. Yeah. So he actually, he's the flip-flop cowboy himself. I'm talking about none other than Mr. Johnny Waters. Johnny Waters. Yes, sir. And he also, he even did a musical performance for us at the end. And... It's crazy. I was like a I was like a teenage girl at a Barry Manilow concert, which <laughs> I know you're not going to get that reference, but somebody will, and they're going to think it's hilarious. Yes. So um, I can't wait to hear it. I, let's listen to it right now. Why are we not hearing it right now? Because we're talking. We're too busy flapping our gums off. We should stop talking. We should stop talking. I'm going to stop talking right now. Misfits, please welcome Johnny Waters. Playing the Misfit Heroes podcast. Johnny. Hey, man. Welcome. Thank you. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. It's good to be here, man. It's good to see you. Thanks for having me on. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thanks for doing this, man. I really appreciate it. For sure. Um, so uh, I got a whole bunch of stuff that I want to talk to you about, um, but uh, let's let's introduce people to you. So, okay. So 
who is Johnny Waters? It was, it was, mm. I told, so we did, we did, we did, uh, we did an episode earlier where I introduced Austin. I was right. like, I was like, yeah, it was a, uh, it was a cold, dark, rainy night in Chicago. And he was like, <laughs> I have never been to Chicago in my life. <laughs> so, uh, so where are you from? There we go. Uh, so I grew up pretty close to where we are right now. Um, we're here in Mania, North Carolina. I grew up in Columbia, North Carolina. So, okay. It's uh, a couple of bridges, a river, and a swamp away. Yeah. <laughs> so, when people are visiting the Outer Banks, they ask, where are you from? You're from here? I'm like, kind of. Yeah. I didn't grow up on the beach, yeah. but I grew up over in Columbia, which is about 40 miles inland, depending on where you are out here. Okay. Um, so, I grew up coming to the beach you know, multiple times a week, and so, Dare County was, was kind of like home. But, um, yeah, I grew up as a super small town. Yeah. Two stoplights. Uh, at one point in time, one stoplight. Right. Um, you know, just kind of Mayberry, uh-huh. as, as I describe it. Kind of just that small Andy Griffith kind of town. And uh, I actually grew up a few miles out of town on a, a place called Soundside. Okay. Named, named after the road there, Soundside Road. So, sure. I grew up out in the country and... Uh, Kind of a kind of a Joe Dirt lifestyle yeah. early in life. I was born to super young parents. Yeah, and uh, they were just struggling working multiple jobs. But you know, when you're young, and I think they were working for like five bucks an hour. I think minimum yeah. wage was back when I was born. And life was different back then. Man. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was a lot different. And so we grew up, uh, you know, modest. Yeah, I guess you could put it. But uh, I spent a lot of time with my grandparents. Um, they were kind of like parents to me as well, since I was born to young parents. So. Um, I feel pretty lucky. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't, uh, you know, we didn't grow up wealthy, but we had a wealth of love around us. And, you know, it was cool growing up in Columbia because, you know, the whole world was your playground. You know, so I spent tons of time out in the woods, in the water. Yeah. You know, I spent my entire childhood outdoors pretty much. Yeah. Um, which was pretty cool. Definitely very different than kids these days. I mean, they're, um, I mean, they're growing up with the world at their fingertips. And Wait, you didn't have Instagram back then? Nah, no Instagram. <laughs> You know, I'm right at that uh, that age where you know the cutoff. Yeah, right at right at the cutoff. It's like I got a taste of what life was like. Yeah, you know, before the whole world changed. Yeah, I'm I'm but, I'm struggling. I'm you're struggling. struggling? Nice. I'm trying. I'm trying so hard, but I'm always like two degrees yeah. off cool. Oh, really? It's like it's like, hey, look at this cool thing that I did, and like <laughs> right. all the all the thirty all the thirty five and above year old people are like, that's great, and all yeah. the all the eighteen to thirty fives are like, who are you? Wait, wait, right. why are you even here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's just so different. I mean, I mean, just like take music for instance. I mean, I'm right at that age. Like, I guess the kind of the first. Uh, of any folks to grow up more comfortable with a uh, computer than yeah. with what the computer is mimicking. Right. You know what I mean? So most of our software and most of our applications are mimicking something that used to exist with physical knobs like the soundboard right. there. Yeah. And uh, so I'm like probably like, you know, among the first to look at the soundboard and be like, whoa, what is that? That looks confusing. And yeah. then see one on a computer screen. Yeah. And be completely cool with it. Right. So my like my first recording setup was, was on a computer. Okay. You know, a dinosaur of a computer now. Yeah. You know, but it would have been, you know, input output directly to the computer and Cakewalk was this was the software yeah. that I was using then when I first started. Sonar, yeah. Yep. And uh Fruity Loops was was brand oh, new. Yeah. So it was back when people called it Fruity Loops and not FL Studio. Yeah, right. Right. So, it's, all, it's all professional now. Yeah, it's all professional back then. It was you, just like... You can't sell around. something called Fruity Loops for $700. It's right? true. <laughs> it's true. It's true. So, yeah. I'm kind of right on the cusp, you know. Right. Right, right once the world changed, you know, I was I was kind of right at the cutoff. So, I kind of understand, you know, both 
both approaches and both both perspectives. But uh, mm-hmm. so yeah. how, when do you, when do you start playing? I mean, when when do you start getting into music? So I've always been into music. It always it's always been something that's grabbed my attention. Um, so I knew from a very early age, like when we were in elementary school, you know, we did like the little recorder thing, and and that didn't catch my interest, you know, more so than any other kid. Um, but my mom grew up singing in church. She grew up singing around me, and I loved to hear her sing. It was one of my favorite things. Um, and then when the high school band would come visit the elementary school kids, I would just be like completely enthralled, just you know, like a statue watching them, just just loving every minute. Right. Of the performance. So I knew I was into music. And uh, so my parents bought me a drum. Uh, when I went into sixth grade, you could join the band. Uh-huh. So they bought me a snare drum. And, you know, the rest is history. I went from there uh, to teaching myself the drum set and then guitar and then singing and then bass and harmonica and lots of other things. Yeah. Um, but that's where it started, sixth grade band. Um, and I played drums in high school for a bunch of rock and roll bands and... Um, Guitar and singing really took hold when I was in the Army. So, right after high school, growing up in a small town and being curious as I am, I wanted to see the world yeah, ASAP. Sure. So, I uh, went to basic training two weeks after graduating and got to see the world. You know, I did, I did basic training in infantry school in America. Yeah. But every other Army experience I had was overseas. Overseas, really? Yeah, so, either in Europe or the Middle East. Okay. Where, whereabouts, whereabouts did you uh, deploy to? So, I was stationed in Germany. So, when you're signing a contract, you have some options. You can choose your... Well, if you have the right circumstances. Luckily, I had some pretty high ASVAB scores and was able to, you know, to get good education benefits, station of my choice, job of my choice, a lot of that stuff in my contract. And um, so, I chose Germany. Okay. I heard a lot of good things about Germany. My recruiter had spent a lot of time in Germany. I just thought it was the coolest thing and uh, loved European history as a kid and loved you know, European culture and was really excited to, to get a chance to see that, you know, while serving. So I chose Germany out of all the places. I was kind of tempted to, to choose one of the Asian duty stations. Yeah. Um, but in the army, it's pretty much Korea. If you choose Asia. Yeah. And, uh, it just didn't have as much of a feel to me. Um, but yeah. in the back of my mind, I also knew, you know, when I joined, it was right after nine 11. That's what I was going to um, ask. Was it pre nine 11 or post nine 11? No, it was post nine 11. So, so you wanted to be there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, well, it's funny. I wanted to be in Afghanistan. Yeah. Um, because, you know, I was like every other, you know, person in America was super angry at, at 9-11 and yeah. um, wanted to do my part to help. And um, so I was hoping to go to Afghanistan. Yeah. But um, as fate would have it, March of my senior year, we invaded Iraq. Yeah. Um, and I was like, oh boy, fifty fifty chance of going there, and yeah, I didn't, I didn't really see the connection. I know that the government, you know, was was seeing a connection there, and maybe they had some intel that was that was sound enough to make them really think there was, or maybe the conspiracy theorists are right, and it was really just right. you know Dick Cheney's you know mastermind plot to take over the world, or right well, for whatever reason, I didn't, I didn't, you know, see my service as directly connected to. 9-11 being in Iraq. Sure. Um, and I think now it's pretty obvious that, that it really wasn't, uh, unfortunately. But So, uh, as fate would have it, my unit had been deployed to Iraq. So, I get to Germany and I find out that I've got about two weeks before I'm going to be heading down to Iraq. Yeah. So, this is October of 2003. Okay. November, excuse me. I was on leave for October. Yeah. Um, get there and, uh, yeah, have two weeks to get a ton of shots. And you're like a conveyor belt for shots oh, in the military. It's yeah. just, you know, both arms, 
you walk in between people and you just get shot, <laughs> shot, 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 you know? Like a factory line. I have no idea yeah. what I'm exposed to. Uh, they probably tested who knows how many vaccines on, on guys like me. But yeah. at any rate, um, yeah, I ended up uh, in Kuwait by December. And then you stay there for like a week or two weeks to uh, uh, become acclimatized to the region. Sure. When I left Germany, it was snowing. <laughs> when I got to Kuwait, it was like... Oh, you can man. barely breathe. You yeah, know? it's uh, super humid in Kuwait because it's right on the uh, right on the ocean, and it's you know still desert, so sure. it's it's kind of hot and humid. Yeah, um, so it's a great place to become acclimatized because it's even worse there than Iraq because the humidity in Iraq there's not really much um, there's not much humidity there. So sure, yeah, that's I mean. I, I, I was I was not military, um, but I was civilian contractor, and I know gotcha. I know I have a lot of friends that were in the military. Right. Um, what what parts of Iraq were you? So I was an infantryman. We were, and I was attached to an armored division. Okay, um, first armored division, and uh, so we were an infantry grade, infantry brigade attached to an armored division. Armored means tanks. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was mechanized infantry. Okay. So I get to Baghdad. Yep. That's where everyone goes. Right. Uh, you end up at Baghdad International Airport, or as they call it, Biop. Yep. Um, so I flew in um, to Baghdad uh, on like you know, C-130 type airplane, yeah. you know, not a United Airlines type plane, right. sitting on a cargo net <laughs> you kind of thing. You weren't first class? Nah, not first class. <laughs> not first class at all. So, uh, so it was an experience. Just flying into Iraq was an experience, you know, on, on a on a plane like that. I mean, I sang about them in, in basic training. Yeah. You know, C-130 rolling down the strip, you know, as the, the run cadences. And yeah, there I am in one. I land in Baghdad and it's uh, it's pretty late in the evening. And by the time it's time for me to get shipped over um, to um, Mule Skinner, which is the name of the camp. Mule Skinner is the name of the place that I'm going to be sent to. Okay. Um, it's pretty it's dark and I don't have a weapon yet. So you yeah. don't get a weapon to, until you get to your unit. Right. So, in the middle of the night, I arrive in a C-130, and uh, I get put on the back of this five-ton, which is basically a huge cargo truck, Yeah. Uh, for folks that don't know. And it's got some wooden slats on the side, and there's a bunch of cargo, and I'm just part of the cargo. So, I'm the only guy on the back of this <laughs> oh, five-ton man. truck. I've got this old Vietnam-era Kevlar vest that right. probably wouldn't stop a pocket knife. Right. Um, I've got no <laughs> weapon. Um and here I am riding across Baghdad in the middle of the night. In <laughs> a cargo truck. In a cargo truck. <laughs> like I'm being smuggled somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Unarmed, you know, <laughs> in enemy territory, you know. So, pretty much the worst experience of Iraq was, was the first, the first, first night. night. <laughs> <laughs> so, it was pretty much just, just helpless feeling. And then I get there and I get issued a weapon and, and you know, um, the deployment starts from there. And, and there's obviously times where I end up in much, you know, more clear and present danger than that night, but yeah. that definitely made me realize, okay, not in Kansas anymore. Yeah, for sure. So For sure. Well, so, I mean, from from there, I mean, um, so you're in, you, you serve in Iraq. How long yep. did you serve? So I was there a year. Okay. Um, the unit um, was already there. The, the, so my unit arrived in Iraq when I was still going to high school classes. Oh, wow. So they were uh, a part of the initial invasion. So okay. they were there from, from March 2003 uh-huh. until the end of 2004. Okay. So the guys that were there from the beginning um, that I was serving with were there some some of them 18 months. Yeah. Um, I was only there a year because I got there I got there late. So. Gotcha. Um, so, yeah, I was there for a little bit of 2003 and then most of 2004. 
Yeah. Um, and if you know anything about the, the war's history, the invasion was a breeze. The, you know, Saddam's army pretty much gave up. Yeah. Didn't really put up a fight. and They knew there was pretty much no use in it. And uh, so the Vulcan Guard, you know, put all their, their weapons laid on the ground and gave up. So the initial invasion was actually the easiest part of the war. And then uh, when I got there, um, the name of the game. So, so from the beginning, the Army's mission was to obviously occupy. That's what the Army does. Sure. Um, but it was to first get the uh, Iraqi Army to give up, which they did. And then to make sure that all of the weapons don't end up in insurgents' hands. Well, there weren't any insurgents yet. They're just kind of random people stealing things. Sure. Because um, that's what poor people do. You know, yeah. when they see something valuable, they, they take it and try to turn it into some food. Exactly. Why wouldn't they? Right. So, <laughs> the Army's job, like when my guys, when they first got there, it was pretty much their job to be the police protecting or the security guard protecting all of the uh, the Iraqi guard, um, the old Republican guards uh, weapons, so yeah. their artillery shells, um, any of their you know small arms, you know any of their machinery and air, you know that was combat related. It was their job to kind of just secure that, and make sure no one got it. Yeah. So they were basically just securing that from looters, and then it moved into um, doing a lot of raids and searching for the stuff that wasn't kept away from people trying to get that back from them. Right. Um, and then um, around the time I arrived, they find Saddam. Saddam, so, so he's been dethroned. They <laughs> found him, you know, in December. And then over the couple of months that I'm there, the whole situation starts to change. That's good. Yeah. So, like, my first job when I was there, I would, uh, you know, be on raids, which basically you're going around kicking people's doors in, saying... Hey, sorry to bother you in the middle of the night, but uh, <laughs> we're here looking for AK-47s and right. artillery uh, shells and, and things that would be used to hurt us later on. Yeah. And uh, so, that was you know, dangerous, but not extremely dangerous because most of the people were not uh, combat. They were not uh, violent right. people. They were just people. They're, yeah, exactly. Um, so, we're just in neighborhoods, you know, around where we are, which is basically the suburb of Baghdad. Yeah. Um. You know, just trying to catch people with stuff they weren't supposed to have. Sure. And uh, then I got assigned to an Australian Special Forces EOD team, and it was their job um, to rig up all, anything that we found, blow it up. Right. So we would go find a bunker out in the middle of the desert, and all of the artillery shells and arms that we had found and explosives, we would rig that with C4, watch destroy it, yeah. and watch the fireworks, and uh, and, you know. Feel like we're doing a good thing, and plus enjoy it. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so a little I'm, bit of a perk. A little bit of a perk. Yeah. So up until this point, I mean, you know, I'd, I'd been shot at from a distance, but not by someone who was trained or right. really trying to, to to kill me. You know, I, yeah. It's just kind of random pop shots kind of thing, and right. you know, I'd seen explosions, and there'd been some IEDs here and there. Um, but most, for the most part, it's pretty fun up until that point. Yeah. Um, and then. It all starts to change when I get sent down to a place called Najaf, which is uh, south of Baghdad, uh, a few hours. And we get called in to help um, some Hondurans and El Salvadorans, which I didn't even know they were part of the coalition forces until we got assigned to this. But right. uh, there's some, some soldiers from El Salvador and Honduras that are down there. They're getting overrun uh, by some insurgents because by this time, Saddam's out of power. So you have all these different factions and groups jockeying for power right. that are trying to take over. It's and a power struggle yeah, afterwards. Power struggle afterwards. And uh, so while there were not likely a ton of dangerous people in Iraq besides Saddam and his regime, mm -hmm. 
his absence and our presence um, causes you know people who um, want power or people who live outside of Iraq and, and, and want to come hurt Americans. Yeah, you know we're like a magnet for for, for those type of people. And, right, and it almost seems like an opportunity to be honest. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean for for criminals and for violent people, it's totally an opportunity. Yeah, you know because the society has been broken down. You know, like just basic traffic laws aren't being enforced, much less criminal laws. Right, you know so. There's just it's wild. It's like the wild west. Yeah, you know it's 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 just crazy. You got cars driving every direction. People doing whatever they want to do. There's no order to the society because it's been broken down. Half the places without power. Half the places without steady source of food or running water. You mm-hmm. know, much less you know civilized yeah. you know interaction with, with all the people. So yeah, it's a, it's a it's a scary thing. I mean, you know, I hear I hear. Uh I hear people nowadays talking about like defund the police and things like that. Right. And it's like, it's like those people clearly haven't been somewhere where there isn't, a, where there isn't a yeah. police. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, situation I, is what it is, but mm-hmm. like, you know, yeah, don't, sure. don't, don't jump too far off the boat. You know right. Yeah. Yeah. Anything, anything that is too extreme. Yeah. And I, I'm any, either direction yeah. raises alarms for me. Exactly. So, you know, if we're turning the police into a military, yeah, uh, I'm a little concerned. Right. If we're going to get rid of them, I'm a little concerned. You know, right. so either of those actions is is, is extreme. So, you know, and yeah. you can you know can see just like in Iraq, you have virtually no police, right? Uh, until we help you know uh, you know install them and, and, and get them working, yeah. and go somewhere you know like China that has like you know. Oh yeah, police. The police of police, right? You know what I mean. Like you're not getting away with anything. Yeah, you know you see the the opposite side of the coin, and, and yeah, neither one is is preferable to me. Yeah, a nice um, smooth middle. That's nice, where, nice smooth that's middle. Where you want to be. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, that's where I feel like America's intended to be. But yeah, that's just one opinion. Yeah, know? yeah. Well, um, yeah, I, I think uh, I, I think that again, you know, pe- people are people are kind of losing their heads nowadays with stuff like that. And I think that, you know, again, um, you know, again, I did, I didn't serve, I didn't serve in the military, but I went on a vacation. Okay. (laughs) I went on a vacation to Venezuela. Okay. Nice. And this was 20 years ago, Uh, not even recent. Okay. Okay. Back when uh, it was still a nice place. Sort of. Before it became a one party state. Exactly. Exactly. Sort of. But you could see where it was headed. I mean, it was, it was right around that time. And it was right when, you know, you're 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 walking into stores and there's armed guards sitting outside yeah. with real fully automatic weapons, yeah. <laughs> and it's yeah. like it's like it's like they're they're just staring at you, yeah. they're just staring at you. That's you know that's well, kind of the opposite side of the coin. You know, yeah. um, you you can you know somewhere like Iraq where it's lawless and yeah. someone's hiding things. Yeah, you know uh, that can harm you, and, and that's bad. And they're you know not affiliated with the government. Yeah, and then you could live in a place where. You know, like you say, they're just armed guards, uh, you know, police, but basically military. Yeah. Just basically uh, exerting their force, which it's actually weird because um, I've been, you know, like to, to Belize and, and uh, Venezuela and uh, um, what's the other place? Just just north of uh, South America. I guess it's I guess it might be Honduras. It's uh, Isla Roatan. It's just okay. north. It's just a little little island. I think it might be Honduras. Yeah. But some of those places, and especially Belize, it's the same way. Like, yeah. I mean, if you're in a town. Like, there's someone in camouflage with an AK-47 on every corner. Exactly. You know, and and it's like, wow. Yeah. You know, this is this is this is kind of crazy. But um, 
I was at uh, Rockefeller Center, I think, like maybe three Christmases ago. Okay. Two or three Christmases ago. And uh, I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy town. It's Rockefeller Center at Christmas. Yeah. But it, I kind of got the same vibe, though, because like there were these uh, suited up police everywhere with M4s strapped to their chest. Yeah. Walking around. And, you know, had I not been in the military or traveled much, I wouldn't have thought anything about it. Right. Because here, it's like, ah, it's no deal. Yeah. It's just, just a cop. Who cares if he has, you know, an automatic weapon? But I start, you know, being exposed to the military and, and traveling. Like, wow. You know, America's changing. Yes. This isn't this isn't Andy Griffith's show right. where, you know... Well, it's also New York City, though. But, right. It's yeah. New York City. <laughs> you know. But, I don't know. I, I think... I feel like... Uh, I feel like my great-great-aunt grew up in Brooklyn. Uh-huh. And I feel like when she was young, like, even New York City, she, she felt that vibe. The, the Mayberry vibe, even yeah. in a big city like that. Yeah. Um, and it's just not that way anymore. Yeah. For, for whatever reason. But it's... Uh, you know, it, it's a it's a time where people are fearful, and I don't know how much how much of that fear is warranted. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, I mean that's ultimately what the terrorist weapon is. is It's not the AK forty seven. It's not the bomb. It's, it's, a, it's a video camera. Yeah, there's the video <laughs> camera. But yeah. ultimately, the the wound is the psychological impact they have. Mm-hmm. Right. So so if every American is running around scared of ISIS. Yeah, they've already won. Yeah, exactly. Um, so if, if you're fearful of of a Muslim, yeah, they have won. They have they have they have incited uh, the effect that they intended to. In you. Yeah, uh, they have made you afraid of it. Yeah. So uh, it's just kind of unfortunate because it seems like everywhere we turn, you know, we're, we're worried that someone's going to blow something up or shoot something up or run people over or, or hurt people, and uh, yeah. you know, it's unfortunate. And you know, it's it's really uh, so. I, again, did not serve, but um, I've unfortunately had the <laughs> uh, the experience of um, no less than three home invasion scenarios. Oh wow! And um, and the looking back on them, the pro- the problem, the, the 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 issue, the issue that lies within them yeah. has nothing to do with the thirty to forty minutes to an hour of the actual situation itself. It's right. how it's how you look at people afterwards. Yeah. It, it everybody's the, the enemy. It's just mental trauma. I mean yeah. I mean, quite honestly, um, you know, so I'm from I'm from Northern Virginia, right outside of DC. Right. And um and the the drastic change in difference between there and here in the Outer yeah. North Carolina is yeah. just honestly life saving. <laughs> but uh I lived in uh, uh, I worked in Anacostia and lived in Alexandria. Oh yeah, so you know, yeah, you know. So I know the area. It's um, yeah, it's, it's different. Yeah, it's, it's very different. And if you go, if you've grown up in a, a cultural bubble, then it'll burst your bubble real quick. Oh yeah, oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's just it's it's just a night and day difference. But again, the uh, the the difference the difference in in mindset too. I mean, it's it's a um. You know, it's it's so it's so weird. When I first moved down here, I had to change my way that I handled people because so my first my first so when I came down here, I um I moved into um I moved into Manio by myself. Okay. Um left my wife and our pets at home back in um back in Virginia. Mm-hmm. And I came down here and um Drove all the way down and stopped and got gas. You know, when I was down here, it's like first thing I did when I pulled into town, and there's a guy sitting there at a 
sitting there at the gas pump and he's looking at me, he's looking at me and I see him and then he, he walks over and, uh, and he's like, Hey, how you doing? Just striking up a conversation and stuff like that. Where I'm from, unfortunately, somebody starts talking to you at a gas station. Right. It's like, yeah. you're, you're, you're on They're, edge, you know, like, it's like, Hey man, where's the guy that's going to sneak up on me while you're distracting me? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Ex- exactly. Exactly. You want to, yeah. you want to watch my windshield, don't you? Yeah. You know, <laughs> or that. Yeah. yeah. But it's like, uh, it's, you know, and I was off put by somebody just, just having a conversation. You right. Know? And, um, and I think that's a direct reflection of, of the locale that, that I was coming from. Yeah. And, um, and that's, that's just unfortunate. And, you know, one of the, one of the purposes of this podcast is, is actually trying to bring up, I'm trying, I'm trying to bring people back now yeah. to, uh, to, to that mentality that, Hey man, people are good. Talk to somebody at the gas yeah. pump. You should go, you, you should go up to somebody at the gas yeah. pump. Um, you know, don't be a weirdo, but you know, it's, 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 it's okay to have that, that friendliness and that, and that, that calm about people because, yeah. um, society is just, it's, 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 it's yeah. eating itself alive. Yeah. I, I think, you know, and, and so many things are, um, exaggerated yeah. you know, now because, you know, you can feel like the world is burning down right. and it'd be sunny in 75 and everything's great in your town. Exactly. You know what I mean? Exactly. So, the the world for people is not just their community anymore. The world is, the whole world is, is our community. So, yeah. if things are crazy in the Middle East or crazy in you know, Venezuela, then, then yeah. people feel like it's their back door. Right. The whole world is our, is our back door now, essentially. So, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting time. I'm hoping it's just growing things. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, hopefully people will remember that, that most people are good and that uh, oftentimes you kind of get what you give yeah. you know, in, in a lot of situations. And, you know, at least for me, you know, I, I've lived both sides of that. You know, I've lived, you know, kind of in fear and, 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 and worried about uh, a lot of things and, and um, you know, feeling like I needed to be armed all the time. Obviously, after the military, I felt like I needed to be armed all the time. And Yeah got to a point where i was like okay this is getting a little out of hand you yeah. know I'm, I'm i'm preparing for things that just aren't really that uh common you right. know what i mean and right uh which is actually kind of odd because of all the places i've been the only time i've ever actually been robbed is in deer county <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of kind of weird to me that you know i've been in a combat zone yeah and, you know, I really like working in Acostia, you know what I mean? Which yeah. is, you know, what most, most people would be very fearful to go somewhere like that. Um, right. And the only time I've ever been robbed is in Kidoba Hills, North Carolina. Wow. Someone broke into my truck and, and stole a pistol. Oh, God. Um, I, had my, uh, I had my Martin guitar because I hadn't gone to bed for the night. I'd yeah. been going back out to get other stuff later. And yeah. So, it happened in the evening. And... uh it just so happened that uh, we'd gone out to dinner and my wife got to lock the truck. And I'm not really, I've never been one to lock much of anything. You yeah. Know, and growing up in Columbia, we didn't lock the car, stayed, the key stayed in the ignition. You didn't lock the house. Like, yeah. you just you didn't think about um, trying to keep anyone out because no one was ever going to come in, anyways, unless it was someone that you wanted to. So, yeah. Um, well, I went back out to lock the truck and grab my guitar out of the back, and the door was ajar and my guitar was still there. Um, but the the tray where my I kept my uh, pistol was opened, and like every piece of paper or or you know item that I had in a pocket yeah. was thrown in the floor. And I, the world, and I realized oh. my pistol was gone. They had rummaged through everything. Yeah, 
But they only took the pistol. They left. They took a five hundred dollar pistol and left a fifteen hundred dollar guitar in the back seat. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> so, not the most skilled thief. Um, but that's the only time I've ever been robbed. Yeah, so. yeah. I've, I've I've heard of. Uh, so I've got a lot of family members in law enforcement, and yeah. they, they of course they've got they've got stories and things like that. But it's yeah. like you hear like particularly with the um, with the opioid problem and things like that. Oh, you, hear, yeah. you hear about people. You hear about people. Stealing a bottle of pills and there's a seven thousand dollar computer equipment yeah, <laughs> right, right there, and it's like, <laughs> you it's know, like, I mean, yeah, yeah. it's a person is it's a difference between an addict and a thief. Exactly, right? exactly. You know, a thief is is going to you know path of least resistance. They're going to steal a small, super valuable thing, and yep, and be out. An addict is just going to take whatever cash or yeah. what they're looking for, and yeah, you know, or something super easy to sell, like a gun. Yeah, you know. Yeah. You know, so you're, uh, you're, you, you, you serve in the military. Mm-hmm. Um, what happens after the military? What did you, uh, do you, so. So I went through a super weird period. So after things went downhill in Iraq, I was exposed to a lot of combat. Um, you know, was almost killed quite a few times and, and unfortunately had to, you know, discharge my weapon, you know, yeah. uh, in, in a real situation, you know, in a firefight. So those experiences were not fun, right. and uh, were, were, were they change they change they changed my mind just about about the world and and for me, um, it kind of just uh, it kind of just it burst my bubble. We were talking about bursting bubbles, you know, growing up in a small town. Yeah, the world is good; it's all great, and now I'm thrust into a situation where I am um, invading someone else's country. Sure. Now, I'm not thinking about the fact that that's what I'm actually doing, but it's what I'm doing. Yeah. Um. You know, we like when we talk about home invasions, like I literally kick people's doors in. Like, right. 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 Like right. it was a sanctioned thievery, but at the end of the day, I was taking someone else's things from their home in the middle of the night. Yeah. I obviously didn't think about it. That, you know, they're they're just the enemy. Like you know. Yeah. Uh, at the point in time, whether they really were, or whether they were just holding it for someone else, or whether they just found it on the road and was going to try to sell it later. Yeah. I didn't think about all that stuff. I'm just doing my job. Um, you know, but then the first time when I saw another person, you know, like the guy, the, like the first time I saw an RPG, you know, discharge my direction. Really. Um, it we were so it was down in Najaf. And uh, I was part of this convoy. We were trying to get uh, two fuel tankers uh, filled because the Hondurans and El Salvadorans were so scared to leave their base, they were running out of fuel. Oh, wow. So we were trying to find the next nearest army base to fill these tankers up, bring it back to their uh, base so they'd have fuel to operate. Yeah. And it was in the middle of the night, and there was a Bradley and some Humvees and two fuel tankers. So Bradley is like a small tank that infantrymen yep. ride in. So I'm the lead vehicle um, because the, the Bradley had taken off to try to do route recon and find out where to go because we were pretty much lost. Sure. Um, so I'm the front Humvee, and uh, so my gun is, is facing forward. It's a 50 caliber. My you know, M4 is um, not really my main my main weapon when I'm on top of a Humvee. It's a sure. mounted machine gun. So you were a gunner. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I was a gunner the entire time I was there. I was the least ranking person in my squad <laughs> at the beginning of the. FNG. On the tour. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so in a Humvee, it's usually the guy on top is yeah. the least ranking, the guy driving is the second, and then whoever's in charge of the vehicle's riding the shotgun. Right, right. So if you're ever wondering, that's that's the uh the hierarchy of the Humvee situation. So right. I'm the guy on top with the turret yeah. hanging out with a with a machine gun mounted at the top. 
But anyway, so we're we're in the suburbs of this of this place. So there are street lights. So you can't just only use your night vision because it's washing out the night vision because there are lights. So mm-hmm. depending on which direction you're looking, night vision might be good, or you might need to use natural light. So at that point in time, I have my night vision off, um, and I see this flash out of the corner of my eye um, to the right, and uh, you know, unlock my turret and spin that direction. And as I as I do, there's an RPG. Um, uh, going looks like it's going to hit the tanker behind me, mm. and it's an empty tanker, and uh, an empty tanker of JP8 diesel fuel is actually more combustible, more flammable than one that's full. Sure, one that's full, it'll just ignite a little small fire, no big deal. An right. empty one will actually explode. Yeah, so I see that, and I'm like, this zip. It looks <laughs> like it's going to hit impacts. I'm like, going down in a blaze of glory. Yeah. Like, so the had RPGs, a good run. Right, had a good run. 18, 18 years, whether they were good or not. Actually, no, I turned 19 at this point. Wow. So I turned 19 probably about two months before this. Yeah. Um, and I think the Panthers lost the Super Bowl. Oh. Uh, so <laughs> bad, bad year. But, yeah. The uh, RPG just barely, it looks like maybe a foot, goes over top of the tanker and impacts uh, the building behind me, which is actually a house. And I can see the guy's silhouette, you know, obviously, so we start returning fire. There's small arms fire that, that accompany the RPG, and we're returning fire. But I see in their silhouettes, you know, and then realizing, okay, there's a group of human beings that want to kill me. You know, yeah. obviously, the other guys. Right. You know, just, it seems really simple. Like, oh, yeah, of course, that's what people do and more, but... You know, actually just, you know, seeing that exchange directly at one another completely changed my worldview. Yeah. yeah realizing that people can, can, can become, you know, so detached, but then also so immediately face-to-face yeah. that they're in this position where these strangers who neither really know what they're doing. Right. You know what I mean? Like, these people are just, they're tanks rolling in their neighborhood. And I can yeah. think of a ton of people, including myself, where foreign tanks were in my neighborhood, I might grab a gun yeah, and try exactly. to get them out. Yeah. So, not that they're bad people, but they're just having that's, a natural that's reaction. That's what you do when that's you right. have an army <laughs> right. There are these weird-looking people with guns in my neighborhood, and right. I might want to do what I can to get them out of them. Right. You know, because we're not in Baghdad now. Okay. So, these people are, like, super disconnected from the world. Yeah. It's a very holy city. You know, that you don't see anyone without full gear. As far as, you know, they're covering. It's like mm-hmm. a, a female. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Baghdad, you might see someone dressed Western. You might just see someone like that. But in yeah. this town, the job, it's like super job. holy place. So, yeah. it's all a job. It's, you know, head to toe. They're very, very devout. Yeah. Um, they're also very disconnected. Yeah. So, so, they don't really know about the war going on. You know what I mean? So, again, this is all reflection. At the yeah. time, I'm just thinking, oh, I see they're trying to kill me. And, yeah. and I'm trying not to die. Um so, and then there were, there were a lot of instances after that because from there I went to a place called Al-Kut where a guy named uh, Mahdi had raised like a 600-man uh, militia. And so, I saw a lot of combat from that point forward, but that was a real turning point for me. Uh, right. It was, it was kind of like just fun cowboy stuff yeah. up until then because it was, you know, I wasn't faced with, you know, staring down you know, people death. Yeah. You know, the, you know, immediate death. And we'd had close calls, you know, like, you know, a dummy setting, you know, um, you know, a charge on fire next to a C4 liner, you know, almost dying. Right. But never that, that direct, like, someone's super angry that I'm here. Yeah. And I'm not trying to die, so I'm super angry. They're angry. And, right. You know, so the hostility 
I guess I should put it. Yeah. I had never been that close to it until that moment. And so from then on, you know, it was like, what the, what the heck am I doing here? And I started really thinking deeply about, you know, why am I here? What am I doing? What am I accomplishing? You know, of course, my job is just to keep the guy next to me alive in his mind. But, um, you know, being the, the type of reflective person I am, I really started to think deeply. And um, that was when I decided, okay, I'm probably not going to stay in the army forever because I, I did sign up to do this, but yeah. not under the not under these circumstances. I you hear, know what I mean? I hear that happens a lot. I hear that's yeah. a very common thing yeah. that, that, you know, again, you start you start to reflect on your own yeah. life. And then it's like, and then because, you know. Most most uh, most people that are going to see combat, from what I understand, are going to be your eighteen to twenty four. It's not going to yeah, be. It's, it's not going. It's not. It's not going to be your 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 yeah. thirty your thirty year olds about to get out. I mean, I'm yeah. sure. That, I'm sure that is. I'm obviously they they do. But right. But you're 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 uh, you're the you're majority. Front. Yeah. You have you have one guy that's. 35, 40, 45. Right. Who's leading hundreds of people exactly. that are 20 years old. Yeah. That's, that's the nature of it. Yeah. And so the, the, the older folks, you know, uh, for one, they have a lifetime of indoctrinations in the military. Yeah. And part of being in the military is don't ask questions. Right. You just follow orders. Like yeah. asking questions slows us down. Yeah. Like we don't ask questions. We don't think about what we're doing. Right. We just make it's successful. Yeah. You know, we just make whatever we're being told to do. We make sure that that's successful and that's it. Right. Uh, I cannot, uh, cannot operate like that. So just based on my personality and, and my, my high school counselor knew that. And she's like, I just, I don't think the military is a good choice for you. And I'm like, well, but I'm strong and I like, you know, the idea of, of combat. I think I'd be a good soldier. And, yeah. um, under the right circumstances, I was, you know, but, uh, but not being, at peace with the wise, yeah, hundred um, percent is what made me decide. Okay, this is not what I'm going to do forever. Yeah. Um, whereas when I went in, I was like, "This is my life. I'm going to be in the military. I'm going to retire. I'm going to be great at it." Yeah. Um, and I was great at it, but just uh, you know, just the nature of the world. You know, if I'd have out of joined in 1980, yeah, I'd have served the entire time. You yeah. know, or, or, or 1940, yeah, or two, I, right. I would have served as long as I lived. You know yeah. what I mean? Because it was different, you know. What oh, I mean? you're, yeah. you're fighting Nazis. It's 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 easy. Yeah, you know what I mean. You're yeah. you're, you're literally uh, you're literally eradicating evil from the world, and who doesn't want to be a part of that? Right. Um. But what I experienced was much much different. Yeah. Um. So, and, and even that, I probably I say that, but now being a history major and reading the memoirs and and um, knowing why people even knowing the Third Reich, you know, most of them were young people. Yeah. They were starving because Germany was poor. Right. So they, they joined the Third Reich to get a meal. Yeah. Not because they believed in Hitler's, right. um, you know, his, his, you know, his plan or his strategy or his beliefs. Yeah. Yeah. So, it, it amazes me. Like you, you watch, I mean, any, any movie that you watch or anything like that, and yeah. you, think, you think that these people are just monsters. Right. Good I mean? guys, bad guys. And I'm not. Black and white, easy, you yeah. know. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that there weren't clear monsters in there, oh, but there sure. were, there Tons were a lot monsters. of people that that join that you know yeah. just just to stay alive yeah just to have just to have a job yeah you know i mean imagine 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 if i i, I don't see that in this country but imagine if it did you know you could totally see it happening i mean how many people are like you know <laughs> yeah how, we have a 30 percent unemployment rate right now what right would, what would happen if <laughs> sign me up yeah exactly I mean, yeah to be honest i mean 
you'd be surprised in our military. Yeah. Um, now, granted, there are guys. I, I know a guy that that sold his law firm and joined yeah. enlisted infantry. Yeah. Like he had that level of love for his country and and the cause. But there's also the guy who the judge said army or jail. You know. Yeah. Take your pick. Yeah. And they're they're fighting next to each other. Right. So. You know, it sounds crazy, but there are tons of guys that, that are in just because it's all they can do. It's, it's, it's the best option they have available. Right. You know, even today in our country. So, you can only imagine in history yeah. at the prospect of it's like, okay, be a poor, broke farmer your entire life or join the military. It's sure. like, ah, give me the uniform. Right. right. No brainer. Yeah. You know what I mean? You get, uh, you get some honor about yourself and, you know, you're... You're not really any higher on the social totem pole, yeah. But it makes you feel like you are, you yeah. know, and it gives you a little bit more purpose. If, uh, you know, if your society is not uh, putting emphasis on, yeah, you know, that type of lifestyle, whereas, uh, you know, you know, I think you know what we idolize and what we celebrate is super important. Sure. Um, you know, it's it's like you have to be aware of everything, but what you celebrate. Is what's going to be emphasized, and that's what people are going to base their decisions on in psychology. So, yeah, if you celebrate farming, yeah, everybody's going to want to be a farmer, you right. know what I mean? But yeah, if you sure. if you make it out to be like this, like abysmal, like sad, yeah, dishonorable existence, yeah, you're going to want to join the army or something like that. And right. and I think that's kind of where I was at. It was you know, it was, the army was a celebrated thing. I grew up watching action movies, yeah. you know what I mean, and and. Uh, you know, you feel like, and I do feel like, you know, I, I did a good thing. You know yeah. what I mean? Because at the end of the day, I sacrificed my freedom and, and my safety for the sake of someone else's. So, yeah. um, you know, at the root of it, you know, I'm, I'm very proud of my service, but it's so much more complicated than, than I would have realized. And I think that most people realize. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. So, the, so that's, that's, that's something that, that I like to ask veterans, right. just having not been one, is... When, when you see somebody come up to you and say, thank you for your service or something right. like that, um, I'm interested in, in what their reaction is to that as far as what their, what their, what their expectation is, mm-hmm. is for that, you know, um, well, I think I'm spoiled. Yeah. My, my, uh, my generation of veterans, we are super spoiled when it comes to that because, yeah. um, you know, like my, my, uh. My Uncle Joe, he came back from Vietnam and he was a baby killer. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and uh, so it, it, it's it's so relative. I my first thought is you know thank you and yeah. and thank thank God that I'm in a place in a society where veterans are thanked and not you know looked down upon. And and even myself having been stationed in Germany, you know Europe was not on board with us being in Iraq. Right. Um. Europe and as as a whole isn't really on board with any type of interventionism. Sure, uh, meaning one country exerting its you know will and power in another another country. Yeah. Um, so I was we were kind of ostracized as American soldiers in Europe, especially right. after Iraq. Yeah. Uh, so I got a little taste of what it was like to be you know treated as as evil you know because yeah. I was a soldier in uh, in Europe. Yeah. So I got a little taste of that. So I've been thankful that people, you know, go out of their way to thank uh, soldiers, and I, I think it's a great thing because, um, you know, it's a thankless job. 
you know, and, and thankless jobs need as much thinking as possible. And, um, so I, I'm, I'm super happy and I feel spoiled when someone does it. It's like, you know, it's a reminder for me because I don't take it for granted. Yeah. Um, there are some people that might, you know, maybe they, maybe they've uh, never been exposed or don't know anyone or, you know, they, they weren't stationed in Germany. Yeah. So someone that was stationed stateside and say Fayetteville. Yeah. And the only time they spent time as a soldier out of country was in Iraq. It might be normal for them. And it's like, I'm oh, no big deal. Another person's thanking me. But when I came home from war, I wasn't home. You know, I was still in a foreign country. Yeah. So, you know, I don't take it for granted ever. Uh, I don't think I ever will. Um, but I think our society, it's just kind of a given. Yeah. That you thank veterans. Right. Uh, no matter where you're at on the political spectrum, that's like one thing where everyone unites. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's kind of yeah. one of those things where it's like, we might disagree on everything, but our veterans are awesome. Yeah. You know what I mean? And and, and we love them and we thank them for the sacrifice. Um, so, you know, I'll never be, I'll never take that for granted. I heard, I heard, uh, I heard some, one of my other uh, friends say that, um, that, they were like, don't, don't thank me. Thank me by celebrating, you know, right. celebrating on Veterans Day. You have those hot dogs. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, um, so to hear you say that is, is, is good. So, I mean, again, I, you know, yeah. I will say thank you for your service. And <laughs> I mean, you know, um, so post-military, so you come back to Germany, mm-hmm. you get back, you get back to the States. Um, yep. I'm assuming you get your DD-214 and yep. you're like... You're like, all right, so yeah. what's next? <laughs> did you, did, I mean, did you, go, did, you go, did you go to school? Well, so yeah, I'm leading up to the fact that, so you're, you're, a, you're a teacher now, correct? You're a teacher now, yep. Okay. So yeah. did you, so obviously you had some school for that. Where'd you, where'd you go to school at? Uh, I went to East Carolina. Okay. So uh, my first schooling out of the Army was at a community college. Yep. And so I, as soon as I got in the military, I started college. Okay. But quickly realized... I just wasn't in a good place. Um, and I wanted to continue college, but I wasn't really sure what to do. Um, I played some of my first gigs for money coming out of the Army. Actually, my first gig on guitar um, in front of people was actually at a uh, an Irish restaurant or Irish pub in Germany. Oh, wow. So I got a taste of performing while I was in the military, and then I got my first paying gigs when I got out. So I was, I was very into playing music at, at the moment and I knew I wanted to go to college, but didn't really know what for. Yeah. So I ended up going to this music college in Texas. I had a buddy from the army who had gotten out a little bit before me and uh, he was an event promoter in uh, Lubbock, Texas, where Texas Tech is. Okay. And he's like, man, there's endless shows out here. I'll come out here. I'll book you. You know, you'll be playing. There's a great music school. Yeah. So I actually started uh, a music school there and, um, well, I loved it. I mean, I was, I was, you know, enjoying learning about music, but it was kind of a pipeline for hired gun musicians for record labels. Sure. Which sounds really cool, but it wasn't really the lifestyle I wanted. Yeah. Um, you don't want to be Motley Crue? Well, <laughs> no, you don't, you don't get to be Motley Crue. <laughs> so Motley Crue is like a brand. Like right. they're, yeah. You know, I didn't want to be the person that gets contracted for Motley Crue for six months and then you never, then you ever hear from them again. Right. And, and so much of the music industry has kind of become that, you know, some people are, you know, um, renew contracts and keep people on retainer and they'll have the same guitar player for 20 years. Yeah. That's rare. Yeah. Most of the time, every time you see a couple of days, 
you, yeah, you know, you might see the same guitar player for a whole tour. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then they're on to the next thing right. because people stopped. For one, it's like this lowest bitter thing. And for two, hey, you know, everyone talks about band drama, like the band broke up, you know, right, right. All the drama. Yeah. So I think they've started this like uh, assembly line process, maybe in part to like the band's never going to break up because the band's going to change every year yeah. anyways. <laughs> so, you know, which, which is cool, but I just, I wanted more certainty. I wanted, uh, you know, I guess I wanted something I could believe in a little bit more than that. Yeah. Um, rather than just kind of being the hard gun. So the music school thing didn't take for me and I moved back to North Carolina. Um, actually I was forced to because the recession happened and, in Lubbock, Texas, or in Texas in general, you didn't know there was a recession happening because Texas has a standalone economy. Yeah. You know, and Texans are Texans before they're Americans. Right. And their economy is the same way. The Texas economy is the Texas economy before it's the U.S. economy. So, yeah. the world was having a recession, but in Texas, we were fine. Yeah. And, uh, but the guy who owned the house I was renting with other guys I was going to school with and my army buddy. Yeah. Um, he lived in Florida and he was very much hit by the recession mm. and the bank foreclosed on the house. And so I had to move out at the end of the semester and as fake would have it, instead of moving back, I ended up enrolling at ECU and staying in Eastern North Carolina, um, instead of going back the next semester and finding a new house. Um, and it actually turned out really well because, you know, I, I loved my time at ECU. I loved being a history major. It, it just made so many things make sense. You know, at that point in my life, uh, you know, I'd served everywhere. I'd traveled everywhere. I'd done a bunch of things, and it all just seemed super random. Yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, luckily, my, my knowledge of history and geography uh, and my faith in God, both of those things have kind of been saving graces for me. Sure. Um, you know, because a lot of people, they just feel lost forever after that. They don't know where they fit in. Um, but all of those things give me a very firm place to fit in and give me a purpose. Um, so I went to ECU, majored in history. Um, my girlfriend at the time was very much against it. She's like, what are you going to do with a history degree? And I was like, I don't even care. Yeah. Right. I just, I love it. It's changing me. It's changing my mind. I'm, you know, good for you. You know, I'm feeling empowered by it and, uh, took the LSAT, which is like the, uh, SAT for law school, Mm -hmm. um, which a lot of history majors do just because it's kind of a natural progression, you know, you study history and then you end up just studying legal history. And uh, charging someone for that knowledge, you know, later on. But uh, <laughs> by the time I graduated with my history degree, um, I was playing music full time, and uh, I actually started my band for a battle of the bands competition at ECU. So okay. that's, that's the whole reason I ever started Johnny Waters and Company. Yeah, and I didn't have a band. I just said I did on the uh, entry form. Yeah, and was like, well, if I get selected, I'll just start a band and and, and we'll do it. And that's what happened. So we got selected. And I put a band together like two days before the competition and we came in, uh, uh, I think we tied for first place and, you know, ended up getting, you know, some money out of it. And we got to perform at an even bigger show, um, at Barefoot on the Mall, which is like a annual event that ECU has. And, uh, from that moment we were all hooked and, you know, we started playing full time. You got and, the bug. <laughs> yeah, I got the bug. And, and honestly, my college professors, I was like, you know, I was in 10, I was going to grad school or or law school because what do you do with a history degree? Right. Um, because I wasn't in a history education program at the time. So I didn't know that I was meant to be in education at this point. Um, you know, I just knew that I liked studying what I was studying. 
Sure. And uh, this is like, you know what? All these schools are still going to be here, but you know, the fire that you started with the band might not be. So yeah. You might want to focus on that and just let the rest of it play out as it will. Yeah. Uh, and it was really good advice. Um, you know, I, I played full time for three years. Um, and what know, year was this you got started? So this would have been 2011. Okay. Yeah, 2011. Um, now, is it still the original lineup or? No, it's changed. Uh, it's changed quite a bit. The drummer that still plays with me is the same guy that played at that uh, that of the bands. Yeah. yeah. Um, but but everyone else has changed. Cool. Um, and uh, so after that, I most of my gigs were leading me here to the Outer Banks, and it was close to home. Yeah. So after graduating from ECU, um, I ended up moving out here because um, it was closest to where most most of the, the gigs were. And you know, I'd still travel out to Greenville, Virginia, and other places to play. Yeah. Um, but, but most of them were, you know, the weaker gigs here in the bank. So, lived here for a while. And, you know, three years into that, I, uh, I loved playing music. Um, but there was something still felt like it was missing. Um, so, I decided to go to law school. I thought that's what it was. And I knew I was being called to do something and thought it was law. And then realized while I was in law school that it was actually education. And I transferred to the School of Education, finished a Master's of Education, and now working on a PhD in Education. Brilliant. Um, and uh, in my fourth year of teaching. You're so, a man of many hats. So, yeah, I think, uh, <laughs> and, and I think that, I mean, I think that's good for me. Yes. I, I think I've always. I'm impressed. Yeah. Right. <laughs> All right. You know, I think I've never wanted to be pigeonholed. You yeah. know what I mean? I've never, oh, that's that guy that does that thing. I can tell by looking at him and talking to him. Like, oh, that's yeah. his thing. You know yeah. what I mean? You know, I like to kind of be a little bit of uh, a mystery or at least interesting. Yeah, um, for sure. There's this um, uh, instructional coach that uh, helped teachers out uh, named Sandy Corbett. And she saw me in the hallway one time. And was like, hey, there's the Renaissance man. And, and that's a pretty close. <laughs> so, you can't really pigeonhole me, but she totally did. Yeah. So, it's like, yeah, I'm the Renaissance man. You know, try to do everything. Yeah. So, um, so. In trying to not be pigeonholed, I've now pigeonholed myself into I'm a Renaissance man or a man of many hats. Or uh, yeah. I think Chris Saul with Dare County Arts Council said uh, a hyphen. I'm a hyphenated person. <laughs> I, you know, just add the list. Just just add lists and a hyphen. <laughs> just add a title and you're good to go. But okay. yeah. So um, so you've been you said you've been a teacher for four years. Yeah. Okay. And um, and you are a civics teacher, correct? Yeah. So, I, I taught English first. Okay. Um, because I, I knew I wanted to teach here in this community. Yeah. Um, and there were no social studies positions available, and there was an English position available. And I was certified to do both. So, I taught English for uh, the first two years, and then I switched and did civics and American history. And this year, I'll be doing civics, um, AP government, and AP human geography. Wow. So, I'm super excited. It was fun teaching English, especially as a lyricist. Yeah. Um, it was really fun, especially you know, teaching poetry and, and lyrics and using music in that curriculum. Um, but at the end of the day, it, it's my hope to not just have fun in teaching, but to change society ethically and, an and morally and, and, and make an impact. Yes. And, and the impact I want to have has as much to do with instilling empathy in people as it does teaching them what happened in 1847 in the American Southwest. You know what I mean? That's fantastic. You know, my, uh, you know, everybody's got that teacher when they were growing up that, you know, made, made an impact. Yeah. Um, and mine was a civics or government teacher. And, you know, he was honestly, I mean, he, he was, he was 
very out in left field and not my. <laughs> right. He was. He was. He wasn't. He wasn't what you would expect mm-hmm. from 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 my uh, my standpoint. Um, but and he did something that I think is kind of rare these days. But he really provided an unbiased curriculum. Yeah. Um. You know, it, it, it obviously he had things that he had to follow and stand. This was I. I I, w- I wasn't around when the whole standards of learning type learning yeah, scenario. Yeah, Virginia calls it SOL. Yeah, know. yeah. Um, but I, I was I was before that. But so obviously he he had to teach a certain curriculum. But yeah. he he didn't he didn't just he didn't just read the books. I mean, I find it amazing now that like from what I understand. Well, first off, they barely even read books in school anymore now. I mean, it's right. like it's like, oh man. Yeah, what I what I would have done to be able to, to to pull out my smartphone and take a picture and call yeah. that taking notes. Yeah, my arm was so sore in yeah. high school. It was like ah, but um, yeah, but he he he, um, you know he he really he Opened really and, a little bit about yeah, yeah, and he involved he involved the students. You know when mm-hmm. we when we would have like uh like uh student student council elections or or whatever. Uh-huh. Um, he. He turned that in, he he turned that into I mean at the time I think I think right when I was about to graduate was when they were uh, it was like 2000 I think it was uh, I think it was George Bush mm-hmm. and um and he was you know he 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 involved that it, it got to the point where you actually understood concepts and things like that versus just you know these are these are these are the candidates you have available and yeah. and you know um, and he also I was I was very um, I was very surprised um, because I did for for what for what people I mean it doesn't matter where you lean politically yeah. um, but for he he tended to lean very very liberal right but which is common somewhat common in education in general yeah but definitely with social studies teachers yeah yeah but yeah. he was he was very he was very open about basically being open. You know, yeah, he was he was he was he was he was very open about that, and that that made an impact on me because yeah. that showed that showed me. I mean, you know, kids aren't dumb. Right. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, they're they're not. You know, as as much as as much as we 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 tend to equate human beings as young equals inexperienced or young equals yeah. dumb. These kids are actually brilliant. Right. Yeah. They just don't have. They just haven't been kicked in the teeth before. Right. You know what I mean? And and don't yeah. you know? It's it they 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 don't get to. Uh, you, they they haven't they haven't they haven't lived the experience, but I'm sure they're seeing everything going around. Yeah, I mean they're super intuitive. I mean, yeah, you know, uh, kids know more, far more than we'll ever know that they know. Yeah, um, just like you know, we were all once kids, and and yeah. you know, uh, you think about your interaction with adults when you were a kid, and you know, some sometimes you were treated as though you, you didn't know half of what you actually knew, and right. Sometimes you were treated like you already knew everything, and you already yeah. grown. Maybe you should have been you coddled a little bit. Yeah, yeah. you yeah. should have known better. Well, <laughs> yeah. So, it, it, yeah, being a kid is that interesting thing where yeah. it's like there's you know, it's, it's again it's kind of extreme sometimes to, to treat like they know everything or that they know nothing. Yeah. So so I had my I had my first son uh, this this past year. He's Congratulations. Been, thank you very much. And um and he's just he's just a blessing in my life, but um. I'm I'm quickly realizing that the lifestyle that I grew up in is not the lifestyle that he's going to grow up in. Oh, um, yeah. It it like 
Which is the case for any generation, but especially now. Especially now. Especially now. It's like it's like uh it's it's like night and day. Like yeah. um I I I was familiar with the concept of of cyberbullying, for example. Right. And um but I didn't understand. I was like, I was like cyberbullying. So somebody's just bullying me on the yeah. internet, you know. Like yeah. when I was in school, uh, um, things were a lot different. Yeah, like I mean, somebody, somebody bullied you. You pop them in the mouth. Yeah, that's the end of them bullying you. Yeah. You can't do that now. Can't do that. And uh, they're you know miles yeah. away in a different place. On yeah. top of that, I mean, technology brings like automation. Like I, I yeah. I'm, I'm surprised. Um, I'm surprised at how many people don't actually understand the actual way that cyberbullying works because I was like when I was in, when I was in school it was like you'd even get like a, a bullying phone call or something like yeah. that and you'd ride home on the bus and the and the kid would be like oh man I'll see you tomorrow yeah. and that's and that's that right but then after that um you played some video games like <laughs> you know what i mean yeah um now it's like it's like these kids are like jumping on top of each other with social media which yeah. I'm I'm not 100% on board with yeah. with a a 13 year old age limit for social media anyways, right. you know what I mean? But uh but like they're just they're jump they're jumping on board and then they turn it turn it into almost like a botnet, yeah. you know, an automation. Now you've got 10,000 people every second saying, yeah. "Hey, you're no good. You're no good. Kill yourself." Like it's crazy. It's 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 a drastic there's so many different social issues and things like that the kids have to do now. So I mean, um yeah. And there's so many things that I mean that same thing being said that teachers have to deal with now that, I mean, again, I commend you for, for what you do because that's, that's sort of a, uh, that's, that's, that's something that not a lot of people, people, people for, it doesn't matter what your job is. I'm a postal worker, right? People sit, you know, people that aren't in the line of postal work are like, just deliver my packages, man. Right. You know, people, people that don't see teachers don't, they don't see, they don't see, all the stuff going on behind the right. scenes, they see that their kid is getting a C or a D and yeah, what's, what's that. your, what's your problem? Why, why aren't yeah. you teaching, why aren't you teaching my kid how to, you yeah. know? And then, you know, you see, you see a police officer and you see videos all over social media and it's, you know, it's yeah. just, uh, it's, they, they see, they see this, they don't mm-hmm. see that the 39 other yeah. interactions in that day that, that didn't yeah. happen. So, yeah. It's 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 a weird thing, you know. We've got we've got all these quote unquote social media expert or subject matter experts, yeah. And and but they don't do any of it. So again, yeah. I, I really I really have a lot of respect for uh, for for educators and teachers and um yeah. So so the music. It sounds like it's time to talk about the music. Huh? Yeah. So. So you've been doing this. You've been doing this. Uh, Johnny Waters and Company for nine years now. It sounds like. Yeah, yeah. Formerly under that name. Um, before that, I didn't have a stage name. Or I, I yeah. wasn't really Johnny. So, I mean, Johnny's not my name. Jonathan is my name. And sure. I, some people call me John. Some Johnny. Some still Jonathan. That's very regal, by the way. Yeah. You should, you uh-huh. should, you, you should, you should run with that one for a little bit. Run with one, that one. one time, just go out and do a gig and be like, "I am Jonathan I am Waters." Jonathan Waters. Yeah. <laughs> I'll yeah. be, I'll be performing the, this next sonata in E flat. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, man, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of what you do. I think that uh, any anybody that honest, honestly, the when I first moved down here in the Outer Banks, um, I saw your name everywhere, right. everywhere. So right. I'm like, I'm kind of like, I'm kind of like starstruck. I'm like, oh man, it's not gonna, it's nice. not gonna be Johnny Water. Um, but so, I mean, 
let's talk let's talk about uh let's let's talk about some of the things some of the things you've done so recently one of the things i was impressed with that that you did um is so we had we're in the middle of a pandemic with COVID 19 and you um you know it seems it seems like everybody has transitioned from in-house shows um on location to everybody doing streaming everybody's virtual everybody's streaming it's um you know television is streaming gaming is streaming yeah uh everything everybody is is streaming school is streaming yeah (laughs) you know um but you took it kind of a step further um so i was i was super impressed You, you actually went into um into apartment complexes i saw right and brought the music to the people and yeah. put on put on shows super cool yeah. yeah that was that was pretty early on in the pandemic and uh you know it was before the warm weather hit so uh that was that was one of the best gigs of the year yeah you know what i mean because it had been a while since i played because everything was shut down initially and then with run hill apartments yeah i mean it was awesome it was uh you know just set up in the middle of their you know courtyard yeah by the pool and all of the apartments were facing that or most of them right and I just played down there, and some people would be walking their dog or coming outside, but not congregating. Yeah, most people were just sitting on their patios, just enjoying, just enjoying the music. It. Yeah, man, that's, super super cool. That's that's great, dude. Yeah, like you know, so so I I, I, I play a little bit, nice. nowhere near as good as you. <laughs> okay, and uh, and as such, so when I was when I was in college, I lived in an apartment as well, and I tried to do the same thing. Okay. Didn't have nearly the same. Impact. <laughs> <laughs> you had. You had applause and laughter and happiness, and right. I had, hey, who's killing that cat? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, you better stop or I'm going to call the police. That's what yeah. I had. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, I mean, but on top of that, it wasn't just like, it wasn't just like a small acoustic set. You did a full-on show, right? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was full-on. I set up the PA, set up my banner, um, you know, live-streamed it. Um, I have a looper that I do when I'm solo, so, I mean, I had a, you know. Pretty much a, a long show, just like I would do anywhere else. Yeah, you know, out in this this apartment complex. So yeah, it was pretty cool. Well, I really think I really think that's that's a great way of giving back. Um, you know, um, this this podcast is about is about people out changing the community, and it sounds like you've done that quite a bit in your life. Try and um and but people people hear. Uh, I mean, we talk we talk a lot about ministry and outreach, and people hear right. that, and they, and they and they think, well, how can I give? How can right. I give? And it, every moment of every day, right? exactly. Yeah. It quickly, it quickly, the the talk quickly becomes monetarily, and, and then some, yeah. and then that kind of pushes people away a little yeah. bit. But everybody can do something. Oh and, yeah, for sure. And I mean, everyone. That's the thing. Like like uh, the the missionary mindset. I mean, I totally get it. Yeah. Um. You know, it's you know, it's it's implanting in something very foreign from your culture, but. Literally, we're all on a mission trip every yeah. single day of our yes. lives. You know what I mean? Like, and, and we have this this uh, this grander, you know, approach where it has to be this big trip to an African country where we do this thing for these people in order for it to be missions. But yeah. I mean, you know, what I do when I walk out of here five minutes later, how I interact with someone has just as much of an impact. Exactly, um, and that's what I think some people forget. You know, it doesn't have to be this huge, big thing. Yeah, um, it's just you know every moment of every day. Yeah, you know, every decision we make and every interaction. And so I think you you, know, you hit the nail on the head there. Yeah, um, yeah. The uh, you know and and artistry of any type. So I don't have I don't have a lot of ton of uh, artistry experience right. in, in in the traditional sense of the word. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, 
the, the, the fact, the fact that, that, um, what you're doing, um, is, is really, is really giving back in itself. I mean, yeah. it's, 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 uh, it's, yeah, I, I think, and, and with music, when you talk about like being, you know, very purposeful, mm-hmm. you know, same thing with the military. It's like, okay, uh, you know, I joined the military, and that's great, but I also want to have a certain impact. But with music, I realize that I do have I have to make those decisions all the time. Yeah. So when you like, you make a decision, oh, I'm going to play this kind of music, or I'm going to write this kind of song, or, or I'm going to play this kind of guitar riff. Yeah. It has an impact. You know what I mean? And you know, I started to realize that shows that oh, I can, you know, if I, if I do this, then this type of uh, person, these type of people congregate to hear it. If I do this, then these type, of, and you don't really think about those things. Um, you know, when you're first starting a band, you just kind of do what you like and and move forward. But now, you know, you know, every note and every word, I realize has an impact. You know what I mean? Yeah. Either either for good or for bad, positive or negative. I mean. You know, and, and there are lots of, you know, theoretical ways to describe that. If it's like, okay, if I play a pentatonic minor riff, that's going to evoke this emotion. If I play, you know, a, a major uh, a riff, it's going to have this type of effect, you know what I mean? Or if I use a harmonic minor intervals and I'm going to have this type of effect. You know, once you learn about music and you learn about people and you have some life experience and you put that all together, I think that's what really makes, you know, something special happen with the art and, at least in my life, that's what I've tried to do is kind of hit all those bases, you know. Yeah. I'm not trying to be Beethoven. I'm not trying to be Rambo. I'm not trying to be um, Motley Crue. <laughs> but I'm trying to draw in a lot of those directions and, and make something worthwhile. I got to I gotta say, the, the, whole, time. the whole time you're saying, the whole time you're saying, <laughs> like, I'm like, oh, yeah, pentatonic scale. Right. <laughs> so far. <laughs> right. <laughs> So, <laughs> scales are, are just basically, um, it's basically just musical scales. So, yeah. the pentatonic scale, if you want a, a good indoctrination for the pentatonic scale, um, Bobby McFerrin uses the pentatonic scale in like a TED Talk type thing. Okay. Um, and okay. He, he plays the audience. It's the coolest thing. Really? So, no matter where he travels, no matter what the culture is, no matter what the language is, everyone recognizes these five king notes okay um, um and just the, the space in between the notes that we call intervals yeah everyone intuitively expects them yeah so a lot of pop music is is pentatonic so he will set a tone and hum uh-huh. and then he'll jump one direction and the, the audience will modulate up really like, instinctively huh. to the next note in the pentatonic scale yeah uh and then he'll jump back and they'll go back and he jumps the other direction and they go down to the next note below it in the pentatonic wow. scale. So then he will jump in the direction of a melody, like something really, really simple. Yeah. And the audience will sing along the pentatonic scale with no, you know, preparation. Wow. Uh, and it's, it's it's super interesting. But yeah. um, so the pentatonic scale is recognizable anywhere. Huh. But when you start talking about the major, minor, harmonic minor, all that stuff, um, then you're taking very specific directions of music that vary from culture to culture. Okay. So, that's what I was saying in a nutshell. Okay, I gotcha. Cool. Yeah. That I mean, that's 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 amazing. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I, I'm I'm interested. So, <laughs> I've had this whole thought in the back of my head the whole time. Right. So, you're you're a veteran, a teacher. Yeah. You're uh you're you're huge in music. Um, you ever seen that movie School of Rock with Jack Black? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> you ever you ever pull one of those days? You know what? Like. Look, I had a video, right? <laughs> <laughs> but, but today, 
you know, right. we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna sing about the letter Q, like <laughs> right, <laughs> right. I mean, so there are times, you know. I mean, I try to make everything, you know, be based around the the curriculum, obviously. Yeah. But I definitely use music to connect the kids, or to reward the kids, or um, to give a good break. Yeah. Um, for the students, or sometimes good background music, you know, while they're working on something, something like that. But yeah. Um, so it's it's never just for the sake of rock. Yeah. <laughs> it's like we're gonna rock. Yeah. Just because we want to rock. <laughs> so it's never quite like that, I suppose. Um, unless it's like you know, completely outside the classroom. Like, they've had me play some events. Yeah. You know, during the school day that are outside of instructional oh, time. awesome. Obviously, then it's just about the rock. But, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. But in the classroom, yeah, I, I try to use it to, to connect with students, uh, especially the ones that have, you know, musical, you know, affinities or, or aspirations or just general interests, which yeah. most of them do. I mean, kids love music. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, it's it's also good for reward. It's like, you know, it helps classroom management. You know what I mean? If, if the kids like to hear you sing and that can be a reward if, if they're super productive and, and well-behaved, then, you know, that's easy to use that as a kind of a tool yeah. um, as well. So, yeah, definitely music in the classroom. And I think at the end of the day, teachers, in my opinion, should use their personality in the classroom. Yeah. Um, because, you know, everyone expects other people to be real. Yeah. And if you're not doing that, you're not being real. So I just try to be my authentic self. And part of me being my authentic self as a teacher is incorporating music for sure. That's awesome, man. Yeah. yeah and I mean, that's, that's, you know, yeah, I, I really, I really see that honestly as going above and beyond too. Sure. You know what I mean? I guess. Like, cause for those, for those seven, eight hours a day, I mean, you are the, those kids' parents. Yeah. You know? Um, and that's, that's and they're, they're a mentor and everything. Yeah. You know, you're, you're, you're a lot of roles. Yeah. And, uh, it's a, it's an important job, and I think it's it's often overlooked. And people are like, "Oh, teachers need to be paid more," but I don't even care about the pay. I mean, you personally, I, I don't think you go into teaching for the for you the don't money. Go, yeah, you don't go into <laughs> you don't go into anything worthwhile. Yeah, <laughs> yeah in my opinion. Yeah, right. Uh, I mean, it's easy. We we in in you know because of our culture, we we kind of um, we kind of say, okay, success is when you've made this much. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, you don't go into, you don't go into anything worthwhile for the sake of profit, you know? Yeah. You know, and then, you know, teaching's, teaching's no, uh, no exception to that. I mean, obviously we need to get paid for it, but at the end of the day, to me, what matters more is just, um, you know, the respect and honor uh, and trust, you know what I mean? That society puts into their educators and whether they do or don't. Yeah. Um, so they could, they could cut my salary. Um, you know, about ten thousand dollars, and yeah, it would hurt my feelings. But if I think that the leaders of our country or society in general dislikes teachers and thinks that teachers suck and teachers aren't doing their job, then I'm going to be really upset. Far more upset than yeah. And if they decide to pay me less, yeah. You know, unfortunately, you know there there is you know uh, um. A section of our of our society that that strongly dislikes teachers and thinks that uh, teachers are bad and that they're you know ruining kids and that the education system has failed and you know it, it's just uh, it's unfortunate people think that way um, and I don't think there's much of a basis for it yeah uh, simply because I mean the kids I teach are far smarter than I was yeah and I was smarter than the people teaching me and you know so yeah. it's, I mean when you you want to talk about uh, whether the education system is failing. You know, 
Obviously not, because yeah, the show sure. Are You Smart as a Fifth Grader? Yeah. And no one actually is. <laughs> so how is it that our education system should be failing if, if 10-year-olds know more than, than the general adult population? Right. <laughs> well, know? yeah, and I think I also think you just said it, too. You know, it's like, it's like uh, <laughs> that's what progress is. Yeah. Is that, is that I mean, they're, they're smarter than me. Like, mm-hmm. you know, they, they, it's, it's, it's natural, natural yeah. progression. Natural progression. It's, it's, yeah, you want to feel like you constructed the building, you know, your, your kids had it better than you had. It. And that's, that's the, uh, the goal. Yeah. And it, unfortunately, it doesn't always work like that. I mean, if you take uh, European history, for, for example, I mean, you had some great, highly intelligent, highly civilized um, eras of history. Yeah. You know, that, that precede the Dark Ages. Yeah. You know, and, and, and the Dark Ages happened, you know, uh, you know, 12, you know, 100 to 2,000 years ago in that span. Um, and people were more literate then and more inhumane and uncivilized than they were a thousand years before that. Right. So it's something we take for granted as well. Yeah. And we don't realize that there's work that's involved in making sure that it's better. And um, there's a certain amount of uh, prioritization that has to happen to keep things moving in that direction because we can easily regress yeah. into another dark ages. It just takes you know a, a few missteps and a few mistakes and a few misplaced priorities and, and we, we can end up there. And yeah. I, I think people forget that and take it for granted. Yeah. I, I'm also, I'm also interested as, as an educator, I'm interested in hearing um, your thoughts about, uh, you know, you can be the best teacher about mm-hmm. anything. Um, but there's, so I, I often hear politically and I don't like mm-hmm. to talk about politics, but I hear you can't avoid them I yeah. mean, in a perfect world. You put your head under a rock and politics don't matter. Yeah. We don't live in a perfect world. Yeah. Right. I, I often, I often hear uh, education uh, and education, the term education reform brought mm-hmm. up and, and it, it makes me think, you know, what, what, what exactly are, 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 are they trying to say? You know, we, we, we put so much money into education mm-hmm. and I think, I do think that, I, I do think that one, um, as a country, one one aspect of that is you you can throw a bajillion dollars at something, oh, yeah. but but I mean, I also I also wonder about the actual curriculum yeah. of, of of what they're doing. You know, it doesn't matter how much money you spend that right. if you're teach if you're teaching, you know, if you're teaching for ten seconds yeah. as to what something is, and then maybe not even any seconds uh-huh. as to why that thing is or why, you know, um, yeah. and you know, so much, so, so much, so much is, uh, is, is focused now on STEM or steam. Uh, the, the, I guess, I guess where I'm headed with that is, you know, as, as a history major, mm-hmm. um, it's not steam, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah. so, so, um, but I think, you know, Obviously, and and if, if it's if it's one thing that it doesn't show show as a sign of the times right now is if we don't learn from history, we're yeah. doomed to repeat it. Yeah, so, or worse. Yeah, exactly. So, so I, I, I'm interested. I guess my question is, um, you know, as as far as as far as being an educator, you know, how how much of an impact do you think um, curriculum is is being is being affected in that? Do you think that our 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 kids are focusing on the right things and whether or not they're focusing their education on an education to get a job or an education to be fulfilled in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's a huge question. Yeah. That's a, that's a huge, huge I asked huge like question. seven and one that yeah. time. <laughs> and, and, and just whether, and, and that's the thing, a lot of people 
don't even realize that there is a view of education that isn't about job preparation. Yeah. And when in all reality, to me, the most important education is unrelated to a job. Right. Um, you know, I have three jobs. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, I mean, I, had, I need three, you know, it doesn't mean that. Yeah. So, but what it does mean is that I am been empowered by education to do those three jobs. Yeah. You know, yeah. so it, I didn't, you know, the whole certification the whole, you know, occupation driven part of education, you know, is, is kind of taken over too much in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and the whole thing with steam history is technically a social science. And <laughs> you're like, I, I saw, I saw what you did there. You're like, yeah, uh, yeah why don't you pull it back a little bit? Yeah. So, <laughs> so I don't feel like it's, it's, it's not left out in my vision of, of steam because it's both a social science and a liberal art. And not liberal in the political sense, but liberal in the education sense. Sure. Um, in that it's an it's an art that uh, creates liberty, freedom, yeah. you know, which basically education. The the idea of education of Western education is born in Northern Italy uh, with some of the first uh, universities, and uh, you achieve libertas, which is Latin for freedom, through education. Sure. So, and I, I ascribe to that. The education is about gaining control of yourself. Yeah. Um, and after you gain control of yourself, you're then obviously going to have power. We know that knowledge is power. So therefore, um, you gain liberty and then some sort of power and influence. And, uh, and that's what education does. Um, and where we're going wrong, unfortunately, is that we kind of miss that, that education is about bettering yourself, not about just becoming a certain recognition of some, you know, field. And we also kind of miss, uh, miss the fact that, Yes, we've taught you how to do this job, but we never teach whether or not you should do certain things if you in life to. or in that job. Yeah. So it's like I tell people, um, in current education, we, we teach people nuclear physics. You go to law school, for instance, in America, yeah. and you graduate with a law degree without having taken a single ethics class. Oh, wow. So, okay, <laughs> wow. we just train someone to, to interpret the law expertly yeah. and apply it. Yeah. And we didn't have them take a single ethics class. Wow. Wow. Yeah. You know, it, it's, let's, the, the people who are going to determine what is right and wrong never took classes On that made them reflect <laughs> and study the philosophies by, behind what we view as right and wrong. Yeah. So we're just kind of missing the mark there. We're, we're very utilitarian right now with education. Yes. Yeah. Um, where it's like, I want a certain result economically out of this time that I spent, this money that I spend, I want to see the exact result of my salary kind of thing. We're not seeing the 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 whole societal impact of, of education in general, um, and I actually hope to to have an impact on that. So that's one of one of my biggest uh, goals in education is to change uh, curriculum and uh, the overall um, basis for education. You know, if we can start schools um, where ethics is as important part of the curriculum as any other discipline or uh, stuff, you know. Yeah. topic of study, I think we'll see people make a lot better decisions about whether or not to use that nuclear technology to make a bomb and detonate it or you know, save the world with it. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. hopefully uh hopefully we'll move more in that direction and hopefully I'll have some part, you know, in, in participating and in, in getting us moving in that direction. That's awesome, man. But uh, yeah. yeah. Well um well I got I have I have one other thing that, that I want that I want to talk to you about. Okay. Um um and that is so we we were talking about art we're talking about uh we're talking about music okay and um so we are we are friends on social media follow mm-hmm. you follow me and i saw um 
I, I saw something that I found very ironic and it was kind of a sign of the times. Right. Um, it was a post, it was a post that she put up, um, uh, maybe, maybe a month or two ago. I'm not sure. Um, but it was a direct, it, it appeared to be a direct message. Right. You. So behind closed doors message. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, a cyber message. Yeah. A virtual and, message from a bar. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and, um, this person, this person had, I'm, I'm not sure what had, what exchange had happened or anything like that, but they had put, they had put something, um, you, you had put, uh, what appeared to be your opinion about XYZ topic. And the person, the person essentially said, Hey man, um, I'm, I'm happy that you're from the outer banks. I love coming to the outer banks and I'm happy that you have that, that you make great music. Um, but you know, why don't, why don't, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to defriend you essentially right. because, because of, of what you said about your yeah. opinion on something. And I yeah. thought how ironic yeah. <laughs> that uh, a super talented musician and the art of music in itself yeah. is essentially a display of what you see in the world yeah. and, and, and your take on things like that. It doesn't have to be political or anything like that. Right. I mean, you can be rage against the machine or you can be Beethoven yeah. and they still, you could still, understand just in the tones yeah. of you know of, of 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 what they were what they were what they were seeing what they were what yeah. they were implementing where they were coming from yeah and I, I thought how ironic that this guy is saying hey man stick to music <laughs> stick to music yeah. stick to music you can't you can't say that i mean yeah. so you know is there is there even is there yeah. even a place for that in music i mean number one aside from the fact that you're using you're using your platform as a way to, I mean, regard again, I'm, I'm going to keep it topic free, regardless of whatever the topic was. Um, aside from the fact that you were, you were, you were just yeah. expressing your opinion and I see this and yeah. this is, this is what I think about it. Right. And somebody's just jamming it down your throat. Yeah. man. And that's, and that's where they end up having interesting uh, kind of dualism for me because not only like most musicians, they just express you know themselves and that's it. Yeah. But I have this whole other side of me that's a teacher. So what might seem like me expressing my opinion on social media could very well just be a social experiment. Yeah, could very well just be me wanting to see what kind of reactions that particular stance would get. Yeah, um, you know because you know I try to operate pretty neutrally. Um, you know, so to be transparent, I'm a moderate. Yeah. Um, I'm not a liberal. I'm not a conservative. I'm in the middle, which I think honestly is where most people are. Yeah. Um, because we, some of us do have some extreme views and some, you know, very average views. And a lot of them are just in between somewhere. Um, so, you know, a lot of things I've posted, sometimes I do post something when it may just be how I feel or how I believe, but oftentimes people would probably be surprised how much I might say on social media. That is a social experiment. That uh, is the teacher in me, yeah. you know, wanting to, you know, hopefully create empathy. Yeah. Um, because at the end of the day, you know, if liberals and conservatives both disappear and we're only left with moderates like me, yeah. it's not a good world. <laughs> like if everyone's a moderate like me, that that's not a good world. We need yeah. some liberals. We need some super conservatives yeah. um, uh, to keep things, you know, a little unbalanced. Because yeah. we can't be just perfectly down the middle all the time because... Then there'd be a lot of inaction. Yeah, um, I don't necessarily think there has to be as much as extreme no. sides as there and is that, right and now. And that's the thing is, is is that there should be a balance between yeah. you know the, the the spectrum. And now there are very few people like me that are moderate. They're usually 
either either view themselves as a conservative or liberal. Yeah. And they're pretty close-minded to the other side. Right. It's a very black and white, right and wrong, evil, good. Yeah. You know, on both sides. Yeah. You know, it's so funny because, you know, people just don't have that appreciation for difference. Yeah. Uh, and, and the word I use in the classroom is tolerance. Yeah. Um, so, you can look at Colonial America um, and, and really look at the... Um, impact on a small scale of intolerance. Yeah. Um, you know, when, you know, say the Massachusetts colony says this is the way you practice Christianity. If you do anything outside of XYZ, then you're not a true Christian and <laughs> we're going to banish you. <laughs> that level of intolerance has some has some negative impacts. Yeah. It has some positive impacts. It also has some negative impacts. Um, and ultimately it leads to, you know, like Pennsylvania being founded as a colony right. as a result. So there's some good that comes of it. Um, but at the end of the day, people are not going to operate under that much dictation one yeah. way or the other. Right. Um, so, you shouldn't dictate to me, uh, to anyone, you know, outside of, you know, you know, outside of yourself. So, you know, hopefully we get back to a point where people appreciate each other. And it's like, yeah. you know, you think this way, I think this way. And thank God that we do. Yeah. You know, because if either one of us had all of the control and all of the power... We just ruin it. You right, know what I mean? Right. The best things in our country's history all come from compromise. Mm-hmm. Uh, the best things in general come from compromise and a balance of opposite elements. If you're talking about, you know, you know, natural sciences or you're talking about history, you're talking about astrophysics, you know, you see tons of examples where it, it takes a balance of, a delicate balance of things in order for things to be stable uh, and productive and peaceful. And you disturb those balances, that's when you start getting into tricky territory. And unfortunately, uh, people are not uh, not <laughs> putting emphasis on the balance right now. They're, they're becoming very extreme. Uh, and it's a little unsettling, you know, because that's what leads to a lot of uh, the um, the unrest in like somewhere like the Middle East. Yeah. So intolerance. Yeah. Um, so hopefully, you know, hopefully we find a way to, to become tolerant once again. And I try to. I don't try to, to indoctrinate my students into any one way of thinking. Yeah. I don't want to make them a moderate just because I'm a moderate. Right. You know what I mean? I don't want to make them a liberal or a conservative or a moderate. I want them to realize who they are and then be that best version of that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Whether that's an ultra conservative or ultra liberal or a moderate like me, but I want them to deliberately be that. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't want them to just be, you know, a regurgitation of someone else's rhetoric and philosophy. Yeah. I want to, you know, to be their own and, and be something that they've actually, um, you know, thought about and, you know, arrived at that decision of being themselves. And then if they do that, I feel like the world's going to be just fine. Yeah. You know, but if people start just giving all the control to, to you know, to one aspect or one uh, part of our society, then you start to run into problems for sure. Well, one of the things that I see repeated as a, as a theme in this conversation that really kind of gives me hope a little bit for the future is, um, is, the the idea that that you you welcome people having constructing their own opinion right um i think so my my generation i, I grew up I, I i grew up you know in in sort of that weird transition period um pre-millennial post gen y or whatever right. that that we had you know we had the internet but we didn't have social media yet and i think as a species as 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 human beings i, I don't i don't think we're quite ready for social media yeah. yet. I think it's been kind of thrust upon us mm-hmm. and it's just, uh, it, it's just, you know, yeah. every, every, every person in the world is just yeah. flushing their opinions. And also I see that, you know, 
so much of social media is just is just uh, sharing others' thoughts, and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm I'm really interested in the fact mm-hmm. that not a lot of people are putting their own thoughts in there. They're putting out the thoughts of yeah. others, mm-hmm. and it, it. I think I think thinking for yourself. I think yeah. that, I think. I think that's the next step of social uh-huh. media. I don't think it matters what you believe yeah. or who you believe, but um, you know where uh, where that's where that's going. I think that's I think that's I think that's going to be the the key delimitator, right? With with, with with social media and how we actually use it as a tool because it, yeah. it's it's a tool, but it's being it's it can be a hammer can be used to build a house. A hammer yeah. can be used to hit somebody over the head for sure. And that's the thing, like I was saying, with the ethics and technology. You know, we. We have the unfortunately the, the the cart is coming before the horse, right? You know, all the way back to the industrial revolution. Yeah, you know what I mean. And 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 all of these revolutions, you know, yeah, you know, the things happen, and then we figure out what's right and wrong afterwards. And unfortunately, you know, we have the, the car, the the plane, the the railroad, yeah. uh, the phone, yeah, you know, the computer, the internet. All these things come, and then we have to figure out how to use them wisely. You yeah. know what I mean? So. Yeah. Unfortunately, the, the technology and the science is always ahead of the morals and ethics, and we're always playing catch-up with that. And hopefully, at some point, we'll have the forethought um, you know, to maybe do it in reverse. But the, the car, the people driving cars, and the car itself predates any of the laws we have about how you operate that car. Yeah. And uh, the technology that's budding in, in the world right now is no different. Yeah. Um, we're gonna, there will be laws, and there will be suggestions on how to use that properly. That unfortunately are only going to come later, you know. <laughs> so it's like, oh, nobody knew it was a bad idea to smoke on a plane in the seventies, right, right? Until one caught on fire, exactly. <laughs> so now there's a rule about that. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's kind of the same thing with phones. Like, oh, no one realized it was a bad idea. Yeah, you know, to give ten year olds phones when ten year olds, you know, do what ten year olds do, and yeah, uh, unfortunately, it's just it's just one of those things that, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll get to a point where we can you know, use technology at the moment of its inception and, and creation and, and distribution on a smart level. But yeah. history tells us that usually the technology comes and then we figure out how to implement it successfully. Right. On United society. Yeah. I, I, I think also, I think the, uh, I think the onus on that lies on the people and not, yeah. the, not the, not the people making the laws about it. I mean, right. I don't know if you saw, I don't know if you saw any of the, uh, any of the congressional hearings about like Google and Facebook and all, right? <laughs> but it was it was essentially if, if I'm if I'm Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook and your congressman, yeah. I'm saying I'm saying a bunch of letters and you're like, is this a phone? Right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, but hey, you know, it's uh, again, it 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 does. I, I I think real real change doesn't happen. At the TV level, real change happens at the person-to-person level. Yeah, and I think you're a perfect example of that. I think I think that um, I think that it, it gives me it gives me it gives me hope for the future that yeah. that people are going to um, pe- pe- people are you know affect affecting change in whatever way that they can. Yes, yeah. that's, that's 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 a great mentality. To have. Yeah. So. You've been holding your guitar this entire time. Yeah, the whole time. It's yeah, kind of a natural state of being. Yeah, right. <laughs> Especially with a microphone around. Yeah. You know? So, uh, so I take it you're going to uh, you're going to sure. you're going to serenade us. I mean, I, it's hard to speak into a microphone uh, for an hour and then not sing into it at some point. <laughs> so. uh, yeah. Well, um, you got anything in particular you want to 
Uh, well, we talked about the army a bunch, so I think I want to do an old tune I wrote called Caroline. Okay. Um, and it's 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 uh we could kind of extrapolate it and really apply it to a lot of things we've talked to because when I wrote this song, um, it was kind of about the fact that as a soldier you just want to get back home. You know, you just want to you just want to get back home and you want to get back home safely and you want it all to be just the way you remembered it the whole time you were gone. Yeah. And when you get back, unfortunately, it's not that way because things change. You change while you're gone. Home changes. It's never quite where it was, yeah. you know, unless you can take the snapshot, a snapshot of what it was at certain at a certain point in time. It's never that way again. So the entire time you're longing for something that no longer exists, and without a time machine, you'll you'll never see it again. Um, and a lot of people kind of wish that in their lives and in the world. They're like. Man, when I was 27, the world sure was great. You know yeah. what I mean? And let's just get back to that. Yeah. Let's just do what we got to do to get back there. You're never going to get back to it because there were there was a, there were a ton of things making that moment that moment, and never going to happen again. Um, so that longing, um, it's easy for um, our wishes um, and our power to be controlled by our nostalgia. And nostalgia is great and has its place, um, but unfortunately, if you put all your eggs in the nostalgia basket, you'll be kind of brokenhearted. Yeah. And this, the root of this song is kind of about that. It's it's uh, it's being homesick for a place that doesn't exist anymore because Columbia, North Carolina, the Outer Banks, they still existed, uh, but they were not the same as they were when I was 16 or 17 years old. Yeah. When when I grew up in Mayberry and, and the world was a uh, a kind, warm place where you had nothing to worry about, and um, I wasn't the same person that I was then, and the place itself had changed as well. So, I wrote a song about that, and it's called Caroline. back in time to life seemed good all the time and the people they all seem kind climbed aboard an aeroplane to go play the jihad game how could I have known things would never be the same I remember those big blue skies The kind they warm you inside I remember those starry nights The kind that keep dreams alive I remember those southern pines and the way they smell in my Carolina 
Mano Mano Oh my sweet Caroline People change and places grow I've seen the sand and the land of the snow But there's only one place that I wanna go Yes, I'll build me a time machine And unchain the impossible dream Breathe some light into my memory And I remember those big blue skies The kind they warm you inside And I remember those starry nights The kind that keep dreams alive And I remember those southern pines The way they smell in my Carolina Man oh my Man oh my Oh my sweet Carolina Johnny Waters here on your fire, kid. <laughs> dude, thank you so thanks, much. Man. That, was, that was awesome. That Appreciate was, it, brother. That was awesome, dude. Thanks for having me on. Man. Yeah, no worries. Um, so how can how can people uh, how can people check you out? Um, JohnnyWaters.com. Um, just J O N N Y W A T E R S dot com. Um, I have an Insta, Snap, and uh, Facebook, and all that stuff as well. You can check me out on any of those platforms, or just go right to the uh, source there on the website. And uh, I play a lot locally on the Outer Banks and also, you know, in Virginia quite a bit. So you can check out where I'm going to be um, or you can just check those places for where I'm going to be and where I'm going to be there virtually. So Sweet, man. Johnny, thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate it, dude. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Peace out. Well, Misfits, we did it. That's our episode. I want to thank you so much for listening and thanks again to our sponsors. If you want to support any of our sponsors, there are affiliate links on the Sponsors tab of our website at www.misfit-heroes.com. You can also find links to all of our social media there, so follow us for immediate up-to-date info about the podcast. Please, if you enjoyed this podcast and you want to help us out, do us a favor, rate and review our show on Apple Podcasts. Good or bad, just let us know. Truly Misfits, we love you. Thank you so much for listening. And until the next episode, be kind, love one another, and be a hero.